Welcome back to the Athletes for Justice podcast, y'all. I'm excited. So I know this is a podcast, so you hear the audio, but you don't see my video. For those who don't know, I just signed a contract with ESPN. And with that, yes, you can applaud. But with that, there is this really cool background that I just got. And so I'm sure I'll show it somehow, but I got my Bears helmet, my Cardinals helmet, some footballs, my book, which actually leads into what I'm going to be talking about today. And so, yes, we have some great guests lined up in the future. We got some amazing guests. We're setting up some really cool conversations. But for today, you all have me. And I really want to share with you my heart. I want to share with you my heart. And and so much of my heart, funny enough, it's it's on the page. It's on my book, Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. And there's one specific chapter that it just meant a lot to me. That chapter is called the Super Bowl of Justice. So I'm going to talk about that chapter and I'm going to talk a little bit more about the book. And obviously, I would love for anyone who hasn't gotten it yet uh, to get it. So Super Bowl of Justice. Those who are new here, I'm Sam Macho. I played nine years in the NFL. I played four years at the University of Texas in college. I played in high school, football, basketball, track and field, middle school, even when I was younger, I would play soccer and basketball, a bunch of different sports. But the pinnacle of all of sport, at least in football, is the Super Bowl. In, in track, you've got the Olympics. And in, in baseball, you've got the World Series. But in, in football, it's the Super Bowl. And, and I don't know if my goal was ever to really go play in a Super Bowl, partly because I know it's so difficult to do. It's really hard. Like, Football is a team sport, right? You've, you've got Wimbledon and tennis, and it's a, it, you do it by yourself. Or golf, you can win on your own. Football, there's so much that's out of your control. And so, yes, in high school, I played in a championship game. And in college, you know, went to the national championship, which was rare, but the Super Bowl. People call it, you know, in college, they say the granddaddy of them all. But the Super Bowl was always something that I, that I just felt like it was out of reach, if I'm being totally honest with you guys. I feel like it was out of reach. And then one day, 2018, I found myself in the Super Bowl. Let me explain. So anyone who knows my story knows that 2018 was the year that I tore my pec. Just signed a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract in the NFL. I had made it for all intents and purposes. But four weeks into the season, I tore my pec and I was out for the season. In that year, the Chicago Bears, the team that I played for, would have their best year in, in a decade, would go to the playoffs, would lose on a, on a blocked field goal. And the team that went to the Super Bowl was a team that we beat weeks prior. And so we thought we would be in that game. We weren't. I was injured. Found myself not only at the Super Bowl, but in the Super Bowl. Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. And so here's how that happened. And as you listen, I think you'll understand more about why Athletes for Justice is so important to me. That year in 2018 was a, a difficult year in so many ways. I, I thought I had made it, as I mentioned before. I had a great contract. The thing that you dream for in the NFL. I had a starting position married, kids, all the things that looked on paper like it was a huge success. 
But in all reality, I was I was struggling. I wasn't doing very well. I was I found myself hiding my emotions, if that makes any sense. Hopefully someone can relate. If I was angry, I wouldn't want anyone to know I was angry. If I was confused, that if I didn't have an answer, I would always act like I had an answer. If I was sad, no one could know about it. Even when I was super excited about something, I wanted to suppress those emotions. I felt like it was what everyone wanted me to be. And anyone knows that the body, the body keeps the score. And so I found myself a week before training camp, just like angry and empty. I mean, I don't know if anybody can relate. I was angry and I was empty. And I sat down with a friend and I started to share with him what was going on. And I remember saying, man, if I could just get to football season, when training camp starts in a week, let me just get to the season. I'll be with my friends, with my teammates. Everything will be okay. And I won't be this angry, empty individual. He looked at me and he said, Sam, if that's how you feel right now, I'm a little bit concerned about what happens when you retire from football, when football ends for you. This was three years ago. I was sharing with him how quickly I would snap at my kids or even those closest with me. And I, as I was sharing with him some of my doubts and struggles and pains and fears, temptations, started to be real with him, I began to cry. I began to weep and I had never shown really anyone that side of me, the other side of me, not the big bad athlete, but the, the, the guy who cares, the guy who loves, the guy who wants to stand up and speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. I hadn't shown him that. And so I'm sitting there weeping didn't know where these tears came from. And he looked at me sitting at a a restaurant in Chicago, Gibson Steakhouse. And he leans in and he says, Sam, this is after he said, I'm concerned about you, about what happens. He said, but hey, it's really nice to see you. It's nice to see you. And I looked up. And I was confused, like, what, what do you mean it's nice to see me? I thought people wanted to see the, the, the big, bad pro athlete with all the answers and the smile and the I'm happy all the time. And he said, no, it's good to see you, Sam. It's good to know that you are human. And I was just disoriented, taken aback, confused. And he continues to look at me and he says, hey, you never know. Mind you, I've shared with him so much just drama in my life. And he said, you never know, Sam, God may be writing a book in your life and you may only be on chapter two. I looked at him and somewhat perplexed, wiping my tears away. And he said, hey, I I recommend, I don't know if you've done this before or not, but maybe go talk to a counselor, talk to, talk to somebody therapist, talk to somebody. My friend had actually just come from doing this life, a life plan with this guy, right? You're going through life changes and stages and said, maybe you talk to him. And and so I did the very next week, the day we reported to training camp, we reported around three or four in the, in the afternoon, late afternoon, that morning, I was sitting in a therapist office for the first time in my entire life. And I walk in, this is getting, this is going somewhere. 
talking about the athlete piece, but the justice piece, I walk in, I think I'm going to just go and check a box and kind of get in, get out, get on with my life. And he stops me, the, the, the counselor, therapist. He says, Sam, I've got a quick question for you. We've been doing the small talks for a little bit. Why are you here? I started talking a little bit. He said, hey, before we go any further, I've got a question for you, Sam. What do you do when you get angry? Looked at him and I said, well, that's easy. I just try not to get angry. He said, I'll ask you again, Sam, what do you do when you get angry? Looked at him again and I said, I don't get angry. He pauses. He looks at me again. He says, Sam, everyone gets angry. So what do you do when you get angry? And once again, a week later, this time in front of a total stranger, I begin to weep. And these tears, it wasn't just like a little tears. It was uncontrollable weeping, lacrimony. The counselor comes up close to me. He says, Sam, I need you to breathe. All right, mind you, at this point, I'm, <gasps> he said, I need you to breathe. I'm like, <gasps> he says, Sam, breathe. I'm, <gasps> he says, I'm going to put my hand on your, I'm going to put my hand on your chest, Sam, right? Kind of over your heart. I need you to breathe. So I'm, <sighs> Sam, I'm going to put my hand on your stomach. I need you to breathe. I'm, takes a step back and he looks at me and he says, it's nice to see you, Sam. And oh, by the way, get used to hearing that. As you'll soon find out, I did. Later on that, that day, I went to training camp, finished the meeting with the counselor. He recommended I start writing and maybe journaling, listening to music and so I did later on that day, go to training camp. We do our team meeting and go to the, the dorm room. It was about a two hour drive from the counselor's office, really two and a half counselor's office to training camp, do the meeting, go to my dorm, close the door, grab a pen, grab some paper. And I just start writing. Just start writing. And as I'm writing, I just began to write about God's love for me. It didn't make sense. Like, and anyone who knows me, like I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like that's, that's, that's who I am. I was going to say a huge part of who I am. That's who I am. And everyone has different belief systems. And I was writing. I'm like, why does God love me so much? Like, what did I do to earn or deserve this love? And as I'm writing, I threw some music on as well. Songs by a group called Hillsong United, songs by Marvin Sapp. And as I'm writing, I'm, I begin weeping. And I'm weeping and I'm weeping, writing and weeping. 
remember calling my friend, the guy who told me to see this counselor in the first place. I'm like, dude, what is going on? He's like, what do you mean? I says, why? I say, why does God love me? So what did I do to deserve this love? See what I, many people didn't know. Maybe what I didn't share earlier is that as I was sitting with this counselor the week before, and I would go on to meet with him every single week for about a year or more, actually, every Monday after practice, after games, it felt like God was doing open heart surgery on me. It felt like I had this tar. I don't know if anyone can relate. It felt like I had this just tar on my heart, this black stuff on my heart that wanted to say Spider-Man. If y'all have seen Spider-Man or are familiar with the, uh, the bad guy, it's one of the bad guys in Spider-Man, Venom. It's got this kind of tarry substance that just wraps around you and doesn't let go. I felt like somehow that was on my heart. And as this counselor was speaking with me, as my friend was even talking with me, it was almost as if God was using them to gently and lightly and lovingly and kindly remove the tar. Call up my friend. I said, why does God love me so much? I said, I don't know what's going on. Talk a little bit. I hang up the phone, close my journal, go to sleep, wake up, go to practice the next day, right? This is Athletes for Justice, right? So I am an athlete. I'm an NFL playing in the National Football League. Highest level. I was going on my eighth year. The average is three NFL training camp. We had our team conditioning run about 15 or so, 100-yard sprints, 80-yard sprints for some, 60-yard sprints for for others. Had to make them in a certain time. We finished those, came back to the locker room, and many guys, you know, we we call them shower pills. They didn't take real showers. They would just, you know, change clothes and go eat. Other guys would hop in the shower real quick and get out and go. And I just walked into the locker room and, and sat there. Sat there and just was just thinking about all the weight that I had been carrying, the masks that I had been wearing, the tears that I had been letting out. As I'm sitting there, one of my teammates, his name is Nick Williams, he was new to the team. We connected randomly. At a, at a soccer place because both of our kids were playing soccer. And I was like, this guy looks like a, a football player. And he just signed with the team. And that was months before. Well, he saw me now at training camp. Looked at me. We developed a pretty good relationship. He says, Acho, are you good? He saw the expression on my face. Hey, Ach, are you good? Now, usually when I get asked a question like that. I'm not sure how you are, but when I get asked a question like that, I'll, I'll lie and say, yeah, yeah, I'm fine or I'm tired. It's been a long day or something of the sort. This time, there was no more hiding, no more pretending. I looked at this teammate of mine, this friend of mine. I, I said, honestly, dude, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. And he looked at me and he said, well, I don't know what you got going on, bro, but whatever it is, you need 
to let it out. You have to. You see, he knew something that I didn't know or still learning is that the body does indeed keep the score. He said, you have to let it out. So let it out, I did, except for this time in the locker room. Start crying. Tears starts to flow down my face. And another, another. Until another teammate walked in, Danny Trevathan, Super Bowl champion with Denver. He had just signed the year before with the Bears, helping to rebuild our our defense. Danny's empathetic leader, fiery leader, great teammate, captain. He saw me. And instead of shunning me or laughing at me or making a scene, he immediately went to the locker room playlist on his phone. And he changed the music. Anyone who's ever been in locker rooms before, you know that, or even on football fields or basketball practices, usually you'll have the music blaring to whatever the, the top 100 is that day, whether it's country music for some teammates, rap music for others, it depends. And, but Danny changed the music to, to worship music. And not just any kind of worship music. It was songs about God's love. Not just any kind of songs about God's love. It happened to be the exact same songs I had been listening to the night before. Songs by Marvin Sapp. Songs by Hillsong United. As you can probably imagine the tears began to flow even more. Danny pulled up a chair and sat with me. Nick pulled up a chair. By this time, I had, I'd learned some techniques. I'm like, guys, because the tears were really started to flow. I said, guys, tell me to breathe. Tell me to, tell me to breathe. And like, Sam, breathe. I'm, oh, tell me to breathe. Oh, I'm breathe. Breathe. Oh, oh, oh. Danny. And he says, hey, Ach. It's nice to see you. That was the birth of my book. And not only the birth of my book, that was the birth of my purpose. You see, later on that year, as I mentioned, I would go on to tear my peck. I'd be out for the season. But what many people don't know is that that year was the year that the NFL really started to have this huge push around social justice. Colin Kaepernick had been taking a knee the year before and the year before, and there was this discussion around what the NFL should do. And so the NFL had said, well, if players are serious about making change, they should put their money where their mouth is. The NFL had said if any team would give $250,000, the players from that team, the NFL said they would match it, $250,000 per team. There's 32 teams in the NFL. And they said if that, looked, if that went well that year, then the next year they would, they would do the same. Well, we happened to be the first team that was going to play not only in the preseason, but in the regular season. We were playing in an extra preseason game. It's called the Hall of Fame 
game. So we played the first preseason game. And also we were playing in the Thursday night opener of the NFL season against the Green Bay Packers. We would be the first team that people saw after this mandate had went out about taking a knee versus standing and this social justice thing. And I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to be a part of it so bad. The empathetic lover of people, lover of speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves, wanted to be a part of it. But so much of me was distracted because I had football. I had practice. I had games. I was the starter. I had my job. I had to prove myself and show that I was worth this multi-year and multi-million dollar contract. I had to prove it. And then, funny enough, before I got hurt, then I got benched. I got benched week one of the season before I tore my peg, before the injury. I got benched. We traded for a, a, a once in a generation type of player. Uh, people call him a generational talent, Khalil Mack. Phenomenal friend, phenomenal teammate. We traded for Khalil, and thus I lost my starting spot. We also had a first round pick, Leonard Floyd, phenomenal friend, phenomenal teammate who needed reps. We had a new free agent. As well, Aaron Lynch, phenomenal friend, phenomenal teammate, needed reps. So I lost my spot. And as I lost my spot, anyone who knows me, usually I'm, I feel like, okay, God's on my side, right? God, someone's going to get injured or, or, or I'm going to really shine in a practice or in a game and I'm going to get my starting spot back again. It's only a matter of time. That had always been kind of what was in my mind. Yet this year, this time, my desire wasn't that Khalil would struggle on the field, Khalil Mack, this new player, that Leonard Floyd, the other starter, would play poorly. No, I wanted them to succeed, but I just prayed, guys. I just prayed. I said, God, make it clear why I'm here. Why am I here? I'm I'm not playing in the games, which is one thing, but usually at least I would have practices to go and shine and compete. But since I was One of the smarter guys on the team and Khalil needed to learn the defense. Khalil was getting all the practice reps. I'm not practicing. I wasn't playing on special teams. If anybody watches football, there's offense, quarterbacks and running backs, receivers. There's defense, which is linebackers and and defensive linemen. And then there's there's special teams, which is like the field goals and the punts. (laughs) And usually I would star on special teams. But because I was the starter on defense for the entire offseason, entire training camp, I didn't have a role. On special teams. God, why am I here? Show me why I'm here. Week in, week out, not practicing, not playing, not on special teams. God, why am I wanting to do stuff in the community? Why am I here? God, make it clear. And then I got hurt. And then I got hurt. And you know what? When I saw my name on the injury list, see, if anyone's ever been to a game, an NFL game, what will happen if someone gets injured, they'll go to the tunnel or go to the locker room or go get an x-ray or something along those lines. And then there'll be this information that will pop up on the scoreboard or on the TVs if you're in a suite. It'll say the player's name, their injury and their status. So for me, I was actually in the locker room at the time. Halfway through the game, it said Sam Macho. Injury. Peck, right? Torn peck. Status. 
out. I.e. he's not coming back in the game. I knew at the time that the injury was bad. I couldn't wrap my arm to try and push someone. I couldn't even hug someone. Imagine trying to tackle someone. I knew it was bad. And when I saw it with my eyes, I didn't feel angry. I didn't feel sad. I wasn't frustrated or upset. You know how I felt? felt relieved. God had answered my prayer to show me why I was there. See, my desire, y'all, was to be in the community. I wanted to help our team raise that money. It's once in a lifetime opportunity. I wanted to go and, and, and learn about some of the different nonprofits that were in the community. My, my background, as many of y'all may or may not know, my parents run a nonprofit. They've been doing it for 30 plus years. In Nigeria, I serve uh, with them. Learn from them. So God, show me why I'm here. I get injured and all of a sudden I get a chance to dive headfirst into the nonprofit world. I would go and sit with different nonprofit leaders in the city of Chicago or or even have them come to us from time to time. Interview them, right? Because we're raising this money and I, I failed to mention we actually got a chance by the grace of God to raise $827,000 from players. We reached that $250,000 goal. We actually exceeded it. So the NFL matched it. Then the Chicago Bears, not the the league, but the team matched it. And then there were other grants, social justice grants that a lot of people, if you work for a company, your company oftentimes have these have these matching programs or these different grants that many people don't even know about, let alone, let many people don't use, let alone even know about. Well, I heard about these grants. I said, let's use them. And so we, we got players donations matched almost four times. So if you gave a thousand dollars, we're turning to 4,000. If you gave 10,000, we're turning to 25,000. Not every dollar was matched to a certain amount. And it was invigorating. I loved every single minute of it. That was the year that Athletes for Justice was formed. See, I met this, this, this woman who was, was in the process of starting her own nonprofit. Her company's called Not Reaching, and she had a close relative who was a Black woman who had a close relative who was killed by the police because as they were stopped at a, a traffic stop, officer had walked up and they went to get their ID, license, registration. The police officer says that he, he thought that they were reaching for a weapon. So the officer fired and killed this black man. And that pain caused this woman to do something. She created this, this product that was featured on different TV shows, even news articles called Not Reaching. Essentially, it's a, imagine an air freshener, how it clips on, but instead of being an air freshener, it's a clip where you can keep your license and your registration. So anytime you get pulled over, there's no excuse that you're reaching for anything. Her pain of losing her loved one created purpose-minded to 
tore my pec out for the season. And not only was my book birth at that time, let the world see you how to be real in a world full of fakes. It's a, it's a number one bestseller on Amazon. It's still available. Go get it. Let the world see you was birth during that year of loss, of tragedy. I haven't even gone into some of the other loss and pain that I experienced. But Athletes for Justice was birthed from pain, from tragedy, from heartbreak, from loss, the Super Bowl of justice. That year, after raising that money, and, and, and we were, I think, the only team, maybe if not the only, we were definitely the first to raise the money. The money was raised, committed by, by week one. <laughs> so you could see how excited I was to go and give it out to people to vet them. The NFL caught wind of, of how we did it and what we did. Other articles, news articles caught wind of what we did and how we did it. And I was featured in uh, an Inspire Change campaign, an NFL campaign, a Super Bowl commercial. So me, who was injured, wasn't playing. <laughs> was on a commercial that aired not only before the Super Bowl, weeks before, but the day of the Super Bowl, minutes before, and also during the Super Bowl. I was a marketing major. Do y'all know how much these Super Bowl ads cost? No, they didn't pay me for it. I wish they would have. Pain produces beauty. Pain pressurizes. See, when you're in pain, when you're in hard times, times where you feel like nothing's going your way, sometimes there's no other place to look but up. Sometimes there's no other options but to use what you have. For me, it was my relationships, love people. Teammates trusted me. Coaches trusted me. So when it was time to try and rally and amass all this money to give it away, they said, yes, it's, for me, it was my empathy. That heart that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, this guy who wants to love people well and serve well, and speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. It was that beating heart. Tar was starting to be removed and, and the real me showing started to love people well out of that love came let the world see you and athletes for justice two of the things that i'm most proud of I, i'm you know it's funny the, the the podcast this podcast the athletes for justice podcast was really just an idea from that same friend who heard about the nonprofit. He loved what we were doing. Or he had, some, he had some recommendations of ways we could do it better. But he said, hey, you know what would be interesting, Sam? An Athletes for Justice podcast. I said, why? He said, because athletes and justice always seem to, to overlap and to intersect. I said, well, what do you mean? Can you expand further? Well, well, even if you just look at the demographics, athletes uh, don't always come from the, 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 the easiest upbringings. They come from these environments and these backgrounds where 
you had to fight for everything. You saw injustices every single day where you may not have ever had a voice. Now you have this platform and you can use your voice in a way that other people may not even understand. Athletes and justice intersect. But then even me, I'm sure as you've been listening, you, you heard this, this athlete piece at the beginning of this podcast, me an athlete, NFL linebacker, high school, college, national championship, high school championships, football, basketball, track, soccer, even baseball for a bit, athlete. But the, the intersection for me is this beating heart. It's this justice piece. See, that year we were able, we were able to raise over $800,000 and fast forward a year or two later after the murder of George Floyd, when Athletes for Justice was once again called upon, activated in a few weeks, raised $500,000 to build a food mart in a food desert on the west side of Chicago. And just a few weeks ago, by the grace of God, we were able to raise over $700,000 to make that temporary food mart into a permanent one. No, by the way, in between, some of that. We partner with the Chicago Sky. I've got a great friend. Her name is Diamond DeShield. She's an all-star shooting guard for the Chicago Sky. We partnered with them and raised over $100,000, right around $100,000, little under, excuse me, $100,000 for five different nonprofits in Chicago. Pain produces purpose. And so as you're listening, Think about some of the pain you've been through. Maybe some of the pain you're avoiding. Think about what drives you, what makes you who you are. Now, there's a uh, entertainer, an artist, an actor, Jamie Foxx. I'm sure many of y'all know him. He heard a quote from Stevie Wonder, and the long and short of it is Stevie Wonder always told him, not always told him, but once told him that he should take the time to play the right note. They're playing piano together, and Jamie Foxx messed up on a note, and Stevie Wonder said, just take the time to play the right note. My ask for you, everyone listening, as we come to a close of this very special edition of the Athletes for Justice podcast is that you would take the time to play the right note. Think about your pain, those pain points that didn't feel good. What did you do with those situations? Did you, as Jason Hayward would say, did you take aim? bottle it up, bottle, bottle it up, bottle it up and take aim? Did you let it out? Did you try to rush by it? Or did you take the time to play the right note? Even if you haven't yet, now is the perfect time to start. Take the time to play the right note. We're all athletes the way I see it. I think some of us, including me, just got to work on that justice piece. 
So thank you all for joining the Athletes for Justice podcast. I'm your host, Sam Acho. Make sure to go check out my book, Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. It's on Amazon. Here's, you'll hear, you hear the story you just heard and so many more. Make sure to go check out athletesforjustice.org to learn more about the work that we do and that we're doing, not only in, in our community that some of us live in, but all around the world. And also make sure you take some time. Think about what you've been through, what you're going through, and how maybe that pain can produce something great in you. Until next week, I love y'all. See y'all soon.